0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was your birthday this weekend right or last weekend or last week no this weekend this weekend yeah this weekend. Yeah, this past yeah. weekend. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so i just i was like i had to i'm sure you can talk about it in a second yes but I, I needed to start off the podcast that way since you've uh uh painfully said over and over again happy new year Yes, I'm glad you did. So, yes, uh, no. Um, it's funny, like right now. But, uh, so, uh, this is coming out months before. Th- so, I'm also have been recently recording another podcast. Oh yeah, you mentioned this with the Pauline sisters, mm-hmm. uh, their daughters' project. It's but it's not coming out until like October. Um, and they, they, uh, it's going to be on my new book that's coming out in October. And oh my gosh, I sister danielle's finishing up the artwork for the book so nice man oh my gosh it's exciting it's super exciting so the but they always start off their show with like tale like stories from the convent or they're like or you know tales from parish life they want i'm like my boy's like i got nothing right now like <laughs> there is no parish life right now <laughs> there, is, there really is no parish life right now it's like i say mass on sunday i say mass at home during the week i say mass on sundays and live streaming and give out communion I hear confessions on Saturday, and and that's been about it. That that that's my parish life right now. Mm-hmm, so I'm trying. I'm actually. Oh, so, okay, actually, no, I do have something. So it'll be a bit more about. We'll get into a bit more when we get into the topic. But um, I I've been writing an article for Humanum Journal, and I realized I have to blame Sister Teresa for something. For what? It's all her fault. Everything's what, what? her fault. What, everything? fault. There everything. are a lot of things that are wrong. Are you to blame it all on <laughs> Teresa. What's going on here, buddy? Uh so <laughs> I say this kind of tongue-in-cheek, but but so when I was writing the book that's coming out in October that I'm putting out uh, on Sacramento Worldview with them, she was really encouraging me, like you have to write for a larger audience. You gotta get out of your academic brain. Yes. And and she's not wrong. Like she was totally right. And it kinda and I did, I kind of made the switch eventually. And and I've been writing other books this last year as well. I've got I wrote the book on the pandemic and I've also mm-hmm. got a third book that's due in August on Vatican II. Mm-hmm. Then I've done book writing for a very long time. Yeah. Three books in one year is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but um uh but she was right. Yeah, get into a popular you gotta think about how you're gonna address the average reader. Right. And that became kind of my writing style this last year but i've been like this article is like very uh, overdue it was actually due well it was actually due in february then it was due last night and now i'm finishing it up today nice. um <laughs> thankfully the editor is a friend of mine who i've known for a very long time yeah but so he's been very merciful to me but i realized the problem last night at 1 a.m as i was going to bed as i was like still like struggling to finish this article and finish how i was going to read i'm like oh it's all sister Teresa's fault I've been writing for a popular audience, not an academic audience. This is like this is kind of meant to bridge those two worlds a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I was approaching it kind of like with that more popular mindset rather than the, I would call it like a more popularly academic mindset.
1: Okay. And okay. so I
0: finally made the switch in my brain this morning, and I was able to write two-thirds of my article in, in the morning, which was really great. But essentially, I, so I blame Sister Teresa for my writer's block. Why I blame I, I, blame, for, I blame I blame her for why I haven't been able to write my thesis because I mean, it was the same problem. It, it's it's all her fault.
1: Yeah, I also blame her for broadening your horizons. <laughs> yeah, uh, bringing you challenges that will sanctify you. Yeah, uh, yep. offering offering more things to give up for the souls in purgatory. Yeah, right, she yeah. sounds really terrible for yep. just uh, you know broadening your writing style, giving you very reasonable challenges. She sounds like the worst. Um, so I mean, yeah, let's definitely just just uh, <laughs> call her out on this podcast, exactly. that wonderful holy sister who's our friend. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> Sounds good to me.
0: Oh, man. God lover Ah, oh, geez. I just, I, I uh, it was just, I remember very distinctly, actually, uh, it was like the last lockdown we were in, the first lockdown, and I was praying in the chapel, and I was kind of praying over my manuscript a bit, and praying over her comments, because there was a lot of red marks in a couple chapters, like, too academic, get out of your head, all this stuff.
1: <laughs> she should be your
0: spiritual director. <laughs> <laughs> so... And I just remember like that moment, and I was reading some of her book just to help kind of figure out how I was going to do this. And then that that light bulb moment hit, right? And, 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 but then the problem was I didn't turn off the light Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been on for Go the last year. Go back into year. the darkness of I, academia. <laughs> exactly. The purgatorial life of the academics. So anyways, uh. Uh, I just, I had to, I was just like, it's, yep, it's all her fault. But it actually isn't. It's my fault for not recognizing it and everything. But I've been in writer's block for a very long time with all of this, like even my thesis. But I've actually, uh, I sat down with my advisor last week. And this this is like i'm sorry i'm kind of being self-indulgent in all this but i what the heck i don't get to talk to anybody about any of this stuff ever because <laughs> i am alone at home most of the time yeah, um yeah, yeah. is so i meet with my advisor every week and i've been writing little bits and pieces of stuff i've been reading just to give him an overview and we finally decided that i'm actually like i gotta actually start writing the chapter and mm. and then so i wrote a good friend of mine who sometimes listens to the podcast tom gourlay from australia he asked me for I wrote like a two and a half page overview of what I understand mediation to be. Because this mm-hmm. is my first chapter. The problem of mediation and modernity. So, you know, the old modernism pod episode. Yes. Um, and it was really actually encouraging because like I'm writing this. I'm like, oh, this sucks. This is crappy. <laughs> I can't you know, they're gonna laugh me out of academia. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: You know. And it's also been frustrating because like this is actually part of my original part of my thesis because not really many people have talked about the problem of mediation in Mm -hmm. in in philosophy and culture they talk about it's it's a term often used in theology but to talk about jesus's mediation but what is mediation how it's structured in being is not a problem that's really ever analyzed Mm. so you're writing this and you're just like you know i'm a farce uh all the all the fun academic guilt that comes with all of this and he wrote back he goes father this is really really good and it's super original and like i can see how this connects to everything and i'm really excited to see where you're going to go with this because you're going to offer something really original with your work here and i'm like oh cool well that's nice so that felt good so i'm now <laughs> yeah. inspired to like get back into get the uh academic juices flowing again you know yeah gross yeah it is but <laughs> speaking of gross the, welcome the academic yeah. juices
1: like pen ink Coffee yep. and pen tears. Ink. I think that's I think yep. that's the activity. I'm, I'm a
0: lefty, so, you know, if my hand is smudged <laughs> from all the pen marks and then yep. I've got coffee stains all over my shirt and just tears, sometimes blood from stabbing your hand in frustration with the pen, mm-hmm, maybe, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. a little bit of everything, a little bit of fun. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome to Clerical Speaking. I'm Father Harrison.
1: I'm Father Anthony. And you're right. I had a birthday. birthday. I am officially... 32 years old. I'm very excited for this, because for whatever reason, the age of 31 was Mm -hmm. very difficult for me to remember. Mm -hmm. I could not remember if I was 30 or 31. It's a weird number. I was talking to one of my friends, and he was like, same deal, because he's a few months older than me. He said, yeah, 31 was a very hard year for me to remember how old I was. Mm. I don't know if it's just because we're both weird, but there are certain ages that's like, just doesn't stick in my brain and 31 right. was one, well. so I'm happy to be 32. I think I'll be able to remember that so that's good.
0: That's good and and <laughs> uh, what did you do for your birthday?
1: So it was a Saturday so I had you know confessions, I had different appointments and all that good priest stuff but in the evening some parishioners uh, took me out to dinner. So we went out oh, to nice. dinner. Oh nice. Yeah yeah this, this whole group of parishioners and I received from them some of the most fantastic birthday gifts I have ever been given. Uh-huh. I felt very known and very loved. Nice. I received a, uh, a Seth Rollins WWE action figure. Uh-huh. I received some hair ties. Uh-huh. Some whiskey. Okay. Beef jerky.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Various Dungeons and Dragons uh, uh-huh. you know, action uh-huh. figures and stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, also a shower cap gonna be very useful <laughs> very excited to try that out uh a hairnet in case i do in my own my own cooking um it was it was in I, case, a, at every gift in case I, of emergency yeah, yeah exactly i just felt uh very known and very loved
0: it was, nice. it was a very
1: beautiful experience
0: so question mm-hmm. you're 32 now yes is this why you're growing your hair out this length so that when you're the age of 33 jesus's age your hair is just as long as his it's not not why i'm growing it out
1: it's definitely why i'm not cutting it i mean it just seems like you know let's just go for it i got the hair uh, i got a little bit of mediterranean looks to me we gotta see you know just give it a shot see if it's, it's just funny
0: we're, we're like the polar opposites right here well i'm shaving my head all the time because i just don't want to mm-hmm. deal, deal with long hair and i've yeah. got a good head of hair like i know that and i probably make some people angry with the fact that i just shave it all off yeah. but you're like the polar opposite you're just you're just letting uh, yeah. it grow just letting
1: it grow just like oh just go and then i had a nice dinner with uh my family with bruce nick and Bruce riley as well yeah uh and so it was good it was good uh i'm coming up soon on my fifth year anniversary as a priest
0: which will mean you exciting. made it.
1: yes according according to all
0: know, episcopal structures where we talk about the first five years of priesthood if you make if you make it past that it means you survived and you're probably going to be a priest forever
1: Yes. So, for those who don't know, um, because a lot of people don't know this, is a weird yeah. thing that, that is in seminary culture, is that they, they kept referring to this t- statistic that if a priest is to leave the priesthood, they're most likely to do it within the first five years. Yeah. So, we jokingly say, you know, once you're a priest for five years, you're a priest forever. So, that, yeah. that's exciting. A nice little milestone. Well, of that. And,
0: and often bishops and bishops conferences or local... Gatherings of bishops do things for priests and form, to continue formation in those first five years to help yeah. them along because it is it's a transition it's like being the first five years of being a parent mm. uh, it, it's it's a massive learning curve and transition and it's they're not the easiest years uh, although interestingly interestingly we had like a little Zoom gathering with alumni from our seminary uh, a couple months ago and shout out to the guys who uh to chris and, and jeff and and david and all those guys who listen to the podcast which is awesome like it was weird they're like they're like so uh when's the podcast coming back because they do a lot of driving because they're in the middle of nowhere in the prairies and so they listen to a lot of podcasts so i'm like well now it's back so they got a little taste ahead of time to say yeah we're coming back soon um but so some of the formation team joined us for the little, you know, so it was St. Joseph's feast day, our seminary St. Nice. Joseph's. We were like, hey, let's do a little, and they joined us for a drink online and it was really nice, but one of the formators are saying that it's becoming actually even common now for even like six, seven years. Like like the five-year mark isn't sufficient anymore.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna I did, I'm still gonna celebrate the five years. Oh, it's totally, cool. absolutely, <laughs> absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's a mental, it's a, it's, a, it's a psychological barrier that's been over, overcome. Yes. Yeah, so which day is that again? uh june 16th june 16th awesome Mm -hmm. nice so yeah i'm a month and five days away as of today's recording nice oh yeah cool nice well that's good i'm glad you had a very nice birthday and yeah i I saw you i remember you sent a picture of that i was like that is very father anthony gifts to be given
1: it was great that's one of the nice things you know i've been in this parish for like two and a half years yeah so it's it's nice i've gotten to know the people they've gotten to know me uh and it's it's just lovely i've been very thankful for my priesthood the last few weeks you know with my retreats and just everything else yeah uh it's a good life i very much enjoy this life
0: i i'm a hard person to shop for for stuff like that because there's essentially only two things i want in life what do you think those Uh, are
1: baseball cards no uh hockey cards no um uh uh books
0: yes that's one of them and okay. beer and beer
1: and beer <laughs> that's, well, that's easy you want like you want like Belgian type beers and
0: <laughs> books of Ratzinger that's not hard it, it's not hard but it's like but if, you, if people are trying to find other, oh what else do you want I'm like I, I, I don't know I, I, I'm happy with books and beer like I, I really am I, I'm <laughs> just, give <laughs> just give me more beer just give me more beer more books to load up my library with so like I would not have shelves like you have behind you
1: yeah my shelves are uh, the books are uh, there's room there on those yeah. shelves they're not packed in
0: that's wrong. <laughs> I actually uh, just quickly, I, we're, we're, I'm moving where my office is in the in the church and it's just getting redone a little bit. And uh, so we've redone these shelves to make them look nicer and, and, and they've been restained and stuff. But it's a lot more bookshelf space than I have in my current office. And I also have my personal library here at home with most of my books. Yeah. And I'm talking to my office manager and she's like, well, oh, that's easy, Father. We're just going to have to order you more books. Empty books. I know for you, empty bookshelves is just like, it's anathema. So we're, you're, you're just going to have to be here long enough to order enough books over time that those shelves are filled by the time you leave. Wow. Yeah. Talk about being known and loved. That's, That's beautiful. Right. That's right. Cool. Well, we're going to do something a little different today. And we're yeah. going to leave it. We're going to leave this to Producer Nick to see what happens. Because mm-hmm. we're not going to do a summit today. Because I haven't been on Twitter enough to actually get, catch anything. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna talk about what we've been watching lately for a few minutes, just because why not? Let's do something different. Let's let's see where what, this goes. What the priests are watching?
1: <laughs> oh no, they're doing it again. Uh, Riley, what? Uh, they they want me to make a bumper, and it's ten thirty at night in
0: the middle of the night. I know, and they didn't tell me. They just do they hate our family? I,
1: I don't know. I think so.
0: Do they hate our baby? I I think. They hate us. <laughs> I know. They're so mad at us. What did we do? To I don't
1: them? know. Well, I I think I have an idea. What are the two priests watching? When they don't podcast, they are tuning in to Catholic something stupid gosh so uh, yeah So, first I, of all yeah, i yeah. really hope this turns out better than our infamous batman segment that's yeah. my great worry this is the worry but here's the difference some people are already skipping over this part <laughs> <laughs> because or, they have
0: no faith they, they no don't faith, trust us harrison but those who are listening have hope and are willing to suffer in hope all right okay this is why we're doing it as a small segment because it's not going to be the pain of batman Mm-hmm. It's just going to be. Hey, I've been watching this show lately, and I really liked it for these reasons. And these are some of the things I'm kind of not sure about. And then you're going to talk about the show you've been watching, and we're going to see where it goes. All right. Why not? Let's do it. Let's do it. So I, uh, I had heard a lot about Ted Lasso, mm-hmm. and I I kept, I kept again as often as the case when everyone's saying this show is really good, yeah. that usually is my sign to say it sucks. Right. The contrarian. I'm the same way. Yeah. I I don't trust people with pop culture stuff. Mm -hmm. However, and I heard about, you know, it's very optimistic and blah, blah, blah. However, when I heard JVL, love it. Yes. Of of (laughs) sub-beacon fame. Fame, A sub-beacon fame. and, And who is not a person who is easily impressed. No. Right? That gave me the gumption to finally go watch it. Okay. So I got my I got my free Apple TV seven day trial thing to watch it because it's on Apple TV, and I I watched it not once I watched it twice because I actually quite enjoyed it. So for those who haven't seen it, just a quick one minute synopsis: the show is about uh, a divorcee who has who in the in the uh, divorce has received her ex husband's football football team. By football I mean soccer, you know, real football, um, and. In order to make him suffer all the more, she hires this football coach, American football, uh, from the States, Ted Lasso, to come and coach this premiership soccer team in order to tank it and to go into relegation and thus for her ex to suffer because it's the one thing he truly loved in life. He never loved her. He just truly loved his team. Mm -hmm. And the whole show is about this kind of like – Annoyingly optimistic. This this is (laughs) like—I'll be honest. Like this is one of those things. uh, uh, No, I won't go there. But uh, um, but like he's almost annoyingly optimistic about everything. He sees everything through a light, like a proper light. And and I watched it, and it's funny. It is funny. And you wonder when's this man going to break. Is this just a facade, right? Okay, question. Yes. Did you want him to break? Did you want him to go to the dark side? I don't know. I couldn't quite decide there. There is a point in the show, I think it's around episode six or seven, where he has a bit of a kind of mental breakdown because part of the show is he's there too because his marriage isn't working out so well. And, And there comes a point where he... Yeah, just has a bit of a mental break around the loss of his wife in the divorce and stuff like this, and you see the dark side of 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 him for about fifteen minutes, or not fifteen minutes, like ten minutes of the show or something like that. It it doesn't Mm -hmm. last too long, and he gets back to his positivity stuff. And and, uh, but it was like listen on the first like I tried to just do my best to turn off the critical brain and to just enjoy it as it was, and it was enjoyable. I found myself seeing how this person who was so positive really did change the people around him because he tried to see the best and the potential in them and to draw it out of them um and he never took things personally he never took insults personally and it was a nice change from the dark gritty comedy stuff that everyone's always like everyone's horrible essentially in the end or something like that and and there's no real good person out there he really is a good man Mm-hmm. Who really does see the best in others. And it's really enjoyable. And I really loved it for that. And I, and I listen, it is a bit, the show is a little bit of a, a tearjerker. And it's, it's a bit, and it is funny and it's well produced. And the chemistry of all the characters is really well done. But for me, there was like a pinnacle point of the show. And this is kind of what I want to comment on briefly.
1: Yeah.
0: It's about, I think it's episode eight of, there's 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. And there's this whole scene where the ex husband shows, so the, um, the ex-husband shows up at this pub, and he has—he he has just proposed to his much younger new fiance oh. and she has bought two percent of this football club from some private owners, so that he can start getting box seats to every game again and sit in the oh. owner's box. And this makes the ex-wife very upset. Sure. And Ted is throwing darts at the dartboard, and he goes, "Hey, I'll tell you what. Let's uh, we'll 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 do a um." We'll do a, we'll play, we'll, we'll play for, we'll do a bet here. If I win, you don't come to any of the games at all. And if you win, you get to choose the starting lineup for the rest of the season. And the ex-husband says, deal. And he pulls out this really fancy bar- box of darts Uh-oh. And, and throws it at the dartboard perfectly. And Ted was continuing to throw darts. He goes, huh, okay, great. Oh, I was, I was throwing with my left hand. <laughs> he throws with his right hand <laughs> and it hits the bullseye. And as they're going through this competition, and it looks like the X is going to win, but um, Ted has to do like a two bullseye and a 20 or something like that to win. Yeah. And uh, he goes, he, this is the point that I, I found very fascinating about the show because it really defines his character. He goes, I was driving along one day. And I saw, saw this quote by Walt Whitman that said, be curious, not judgmental. And he goes. I thought that was a wonderful philosophy of life, and it really changed the way I see the world. And he goes. If you were curious, you'd you'd say, "Hey, Ted." If you ever played darts, he would say, yeah. and "I'd say yes, sir." Ever since I was six years old, me and my dad would go to the bar down the street. He'd have a beer, and I would throw darts at the board all the time until I was eighteen. I moved out of home. I threw darts every day of every uh, throughout my childhood, and just this whole thing about how curiosity over judgmentalism uh, really wins the day. And I found that very encouraging. I thought that was really good. <laughs> but there's also i don't know about you but like when i hear stuff like that when i hear quotes from like authors like that i also if I hear like,
1: quotes from any from what woman at all i get angry why is that So I, I i think he's a crap poet take that poetry people like walt whitman
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yes you're good. an english major you're, his yeah. poetry
1: is stupid
0: yeah and i i, I Sorry, was like going. well i was like i thought initially i'm like yeah that, that's cool that's good yeah but i'm doing some reading in metaphysics right now and and uh this guy I'm reading says that he actually thinks curiosity is okay, but it's not the best thing. It, it's, curiosity is is this, it's asking questions of things, which is not a bad thing. Like, curiosity is not bad, but is it the best response to life? He says, no, no, we should be starting with astonishment. And I almost want to say, be astonished, not judgmental. Because like, that curiosity thing, like, that's a bit of an expression of the modern world. Because like, I think that was my one little thing about the show, is that It's a very secular morality and almost spirituality Mm -hmm. that is very attractive. It's really attractive. It really is. Like, you want to live this way of life yourself because you see the happiness and joy it brings. Mm -hmm. But there was also something that's like, yeah, but this doesn't hold up in the long term. I think that's part of the reason why Ted breaks down in, in that one episode this can't hold up on its own. It's impossible because it's starting with something with the self instead of like leaning on God. Now I'm not saying I'm expecting like God to be part of the story or anything like that, but yeah. there's no sense of transcendence in the show that still leaves a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. I still think it's a fantastic show worth watching and it, and you do, it's a feel good show, which is so rare nowadays, but I just kind of wanted to share my comments on that. Cause I think it's, it's worth thinking about and talking about that. I, I, I cause astonishment is, is not even asking questions. It's just, a sense of awe at the wonder of being. Yeah, that makes sense. So
1: I've heard a lot of people talk about this show. Yeah, and the same thing is they just it's it's like a play it's like a mental place of refuge when people watch this show. Yeah, because it's nice. And I've been thinking like it seems like on one hand very obvious that the world is all messed up, everything's political, everything's supercharged, uh, you can't even have like conversations with friends. Or family either because of corona stuff or because ideologies have become so cemented and it is both a little bit encouraging and a little bit sad like one hand is encouraging because people still want nice things which is good which is good it's like not all cynicism and irony hasn't completely taken over the culture but on the other hand it's like oh this is this is the thing that we have that's it I mean, it's just a show. I don't expect yeah. it to be everything. But I find yeah. that cultural dynamic interesting, how yeah. popular the show has become. And it came out, like, a while ago, didn't it?
0: I think so. And then I think it's just been slowly catching steam because, yeah. like, Apple TV is not exactly a streaming service also, people run to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. The so show what, you, what I, have you been watching?
1: Yes. I have been watching this Amazon Prime show called Invincible. Okay. So it's an animated show, superhero show and I won't give too much away, but basically it starts off the first episode and you're like, oh, this is kind of like a superhero thing, a kind of slice of life thing, very interesting family dynamics, exploring those, and the last three minutes, it takes this 90 degree turn and you're like, oh, this is the show I'm watching. So there's kind Mm -hmm. of like mystery, uh, drama, it's very intense. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I very much uh, like about it uh, first, I think the characters are very relatable and real, mm-hmm. I- and that's weird to say in a superhero thing, but the one type of genre that i have utterly fascinated and I love in superhero uh, comics is, well, okay, mild spoiler alert, you find out that in the first episode, having the invincible good guy turn out to be a bad guy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I love that. I don't know why I love that. Yeah. Something about false gods being cast down yeah. like I think I mentioned this before, my favorite uh, DC storylines is uh, based off uh, a fighting game uh, Injustice Gods Among Us, which basically Superman's brain cracks and he becomes this dictator of the world and it's like, how can you beat him? And something about the throwing down of false gods or fighting for what is uh, truly human, It, I think that kind of works for my Catholic sensibilities I think right. that's where some of that comes from uh, where it's like, no, this isn't the real guy there's something good about humanity qua humanity uh, so I it's like mm, eight episodes okay ten episodes long yeah uh, but it's delightful and mm. the show that I'm going to watch soon I'm very excited for is a new Mortal Kombat but I don't want to watch it by myself I want to get together some of the fellas because I feel like that's the atmosphere in which have it be you watched. seen the original movie? I have not seen the original okay
0: no 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 should I wait, wait, okay what you gotta see the original, the original movie. Okay. Just because oh, uh, that's my nostalgia for sure. Yes, I'm a bit, I am. I am six years older than you, so this is uh, true. Um, uh, I, I mean, I grew up playing Mortal Kombat, um, but the original movie is pretty kitschy and bad. But, you but have I to. I love f- that kind of movie. and you have to see that because mm. you, it's, you, you have you have to compare them. I have not seen the new one yet because I mean I't I want I, I to get to a theater so badly. but thankfully yeah. it's on video on demand so I might just pay the 20 bucks and watch it but um, um, but you have to see the original first. So it's yeah. like if you you have a true fellow's day out you, mm-hmm. got, you hang out in the afternoon double to watch feature. double feature it. Yeah.
1: That's good. So I do have these memories so uh, my family, My dad's side of the family out in Ohio, uh, they owned this uh, motel and we would always go there for big family gatherings and in the motel there were still like three or four legitimate arcade machines. Yeah. And my cousins who like worked there over the summer, they and one of the games was Mortal Kombat and they learned how to play it and I have these distinct distinct painful memories of they would never let me pick Sub-Zero and they would never tell me any of the combos and so you could play as much as you wanted. Like they, they would be given like a bunch of quarters and didn't front, matter. front,
0: back, back, AB, AB. And it
1: just they, they would just destroy me every single time. Of course, these are the older cousins. Yeah, I remember being so mad, so angry. So that's that's where my nostalgia kicks in.
0: Gotcha. Okay, quick question. Yes. I I know we texted a bit about this one day. Top five arcade fighting games.
1: Oh, see the thing is, my life is mostly console-based.
0: Okay, fine, Um, fine, fine, fine. Top five fighting games.
1: uh, So definitely my favorite is Mortal Kombat. Uh, My buddies and I played that a lot. Yeah. Once I got the, um, and this is like my weird subliminal revenge, I, one of the guys got it and we would play it and he would beat us. So I bought the game and I trained (laughs) exclusively on this one character. The one with the uh, the sharp hat thingy. And I learned his most devastating oh, combo. Um... And I would just spam it and beat them all. And we never played the game again. So that has a special place in my heart. I, I wreaked vicarious revenge on my cousins through my, my very close friends. Um, uh, Street Fighter is another one we played. Uh-huh. Uh, Raiden.
0: Raiden was the guy with the sharp hat.
1: No, no, no. He That's the fighter oh, guy. Oh,
0: Kung Lao. Kung Lao? Yes. I can't remember yeah okay Anyways. Um,
1: but that I think those are two I played we also played a lot of Soul Calibur as well yep. but we weren't really big on Fighter game we were more like Halo first person shooters okay. split screen oh, yeah,
0: yeah, out, yeah. yeah so mm-hmm. yeah um, Mortal Kombat's definitely kind of your gateway one but it's it, it, it was a great game when it came out mm-hmm. but um, I was really into Tekken because uh, of the timing dynamics was really an important element so was Soul Calibur but Soul Calibur is different like uh soul Calibur you could really time combos super interestingly especially on the arcade it was much easier on the arcade than on the console right. um but tekken had the certain pace to it that i always really loved and then i'm trying to think what else there must have been virtual fighter kind of made all these possible so that one has to be up there
1: oh but we'll say yeah. this
0: the one thing that
1: in mortal kombat when we're playing on the console no matter how badly you got beaten we would always cheer for the person if they could get the fatality off. Right. Like everyone was on the same team when it was time for the fatality because we just <laughs> wanted to see it. So so that kind of brought everyone together after Talk the Talk about Memento
0: Mori. <laughs> oh, man. Cool. Nice. Okay. Cool. That's, yeah, I, I, I it's funny. I don't, I, I look back now, I'm like, I don't know why I enjoyed those games because I, I try them now and I'm like, eh, it's kind of whatever. Whatevs.
1: All right, Harrison. All right. It's time to give the people what they want—the
0: presbyteral exhortations. Yes, that's right.
1: And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes, quite good, quite good. Indubitably, mm-hmm. I bet they can't wait to learn. learn one. Oh, it's my part. favorite part. Oh, it's the best oh, part. It. Yes, yes quite. quite, yes, quite. quite. All right. So, uh, I was uh, uh, Producer Nick is going to yell at us for that segment. He's going to be so mad. <laughs> eh,
0: I just I wasn't on Twitter enough to find stuff this week. So, we and we warned the people. We warned the people that we may not have the summa all the time.
1: Hey, okay, and listen. So,
0: wait, wait. Yeah. This is why we pay him the big bucks. Mhm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, it's true. But let's 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 let's
1: help our audience out a little bit. Okay. So, we did receive some emails. Okay. And some of them have interesting thoughts and that sort of thing. Yeah. But what we're looking for are kind of short questions. Yeah, things that we can talk not about in like five like minutes. Not like essays about your thoughts, which are brilliant. Of course, you're all brilliant, you listen to us. We're very impressed, good job. Yes. But what we're really looking for are like short topics, short questions that we can kind of like a tweet or something <laughs> and that yeah. we can do. So, so you know what? You've got another two weeks to do better. I believe in you, Yeah, I'm not mad, just wanna encourage you.
0: You're do not better. mad, you're just disappointed. <laughs>
1: you know you're not disappointed when a toddler takes his first steps and stumbles you're not disappointed in that you know that's true you're not upset by the fall you're excited they took the first few steps and that's how i feel about our little baby listeners they tried i'm very proud of them but they're not walking yet that's how i feel
0: fair enough fair enough so all right so i mentioned earlier that i'm working on this article for human and and uh the I want to kind of talk about some of the ideas I'm talking about in there because, um, A, I'm not quite done it yet. So this will help me talking things out is how I think things through. And so everyone is going to have to bear with me on that one. So everybody gets to suffer through this with me. We, we get to suffer through this so together. you say this, but this is where some of your best stuff comes from. So. This is true. Uh, but I need to talk it out so that I can hear my own thoughts spoken. So then it'll be easier to write them out after this. All right. So. All right so I was asked to write an article looking at the concept of intentional communities, looking at them from a kind of Ratzingerian perspective and would he critique them, which I would, I argue he would. He um and so I want to kind of go, I want to go at this from two prongs. I want to talk a little bit about intentionality, like what does it mean? is it a Catholic? Is it kind of based in a Catholic anthropology, Catholic vision of the human person, and then what is an authentic way of living community? Because I, I think it's an important question. Because I think, in some ways, again, this year has really taught us the centrality of communi- communi- communion and community. Like that, man is not made to be alone. That's that's really huge. And we've seen, like, we desire it, right? Like, you see already, again, I'm kind of jealous of what's going on in the States because you guys seem to be getting, you're going out for dinners with parishioners. And I'm like, I barely see anybody. And I'm like, jealous. And will you let me move in with you to your parish, please, (laughs) so that I can have some community. Um, But uh, we we saw this absolute need to be with others. Mm -hmm. I think it's actually a, a good fruit of that suffering of we need communion and we want to know then how do we live this because i think especially for us as christians now this article takes a, a it's meant to be a bit more of a broader take it's not looking at just from the christian perspective but from a what does it mean to be human perspective like there are intentional communities that aren't religious right yeah
1: so yeah. so define for us intentional communities okay, so what well, we're talking about here
0: okay well if we're going to talk about intentional communities we got to talk about intentionality all right let's 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 uh let's break it down cool, a cool. Bit. Um, and I would argue that the idea of intentionality is a very modern notion. Now, intention itself is part of the human dynamic. It, it, it is part of life. Um, to do something with thought and will is is kind of normal. But we don't. But we don't do. But actually, most of the stuff we do. It's not overtly intentional. It's actually habitual. When you're walking, you're not thinking, all right, I'm going to take that step, and I'm going to feel the concrete at the under the soles of my shoe and ponder the mystery of that moment and then take another step. We Life wouldn't be able to be normal at all, yeah. right? Yeah, Yeah. that's what you do when uh, you're on drugs. Exactly. <laughs> Whoa, man, do you ever think that, like, you and the sidewalk are kind of like one? Wow. <laughs> oh do not do drugs kids don't do drugs um no intentionality is actually something we don't exercise as often as we think we do but uh, but um intentionality requires a certain um i'm just kind of bringing up some of my notes here because i don't want to i want to make sure i'm i would argue is kind of a modern notion because It's intentionality as we use it today is meant to imbue meaning to a thing so it's not just the act of the will it's also something that comes from thought actually thought actually in some way is prior to will in this although thought itself is an action but anyways that's another that's for another day um i have to imbue my will with thought which means then for my actions to truly be willed i have to plan them out Hmm. right so there, there comes, I think, with intentionality, as we understand it and use the term today, a sense of planning, which, which this is where I get into my modern take with it. It gets very technocratic and bureaucratic in how we understand it. If I'm going to live my life as a disciple of Jesus, it's gotta be utterly intentional, which means I have to choose every moment to give it over to Jesus. And I just, the more I think about that honestly, I think that's boring. (laughs) It's a very interesting take. I think that's boring because what it's doing now is I'm trying to imbue the moment with my own meaning. So that becomes almost not just modern, -modern, Mm postmodern, right? I'm imbuing this action with my full self. There's nothing in me that's missing from this. I am fully present. But like, let's be honest with ourselves. When are we fully present? Have you checked your phone at all while we've been recording? Just now? And I've checked my phone a few times too, right? Just to make sure there's like no emergency calls or something, you know? But we do this because we're present, we're giving ourselves, but we're not fully present. And no, because no matter what, I can't be fully present to you because I'm not, I'm not even fully present to myself. <laughs> like, so uh, intentionality kind of starts to form us with this idea that I have to imbue this with my own meaning, with my own intentionality, with my own thought patterns and my own planning and only then is my action truly coming from myself.
1: Okay, uh, some thoughts. Yes. One I like, th- so it's almost like this idea of intentionality. It becomes almost Pelagian, Pelagian mm-hmm. where God, it's not so much about God's presence. It's about us pulling God's presence out of the earth. It's like we were mining for God's presence. It's like yeah. this this effort that we put into it. And with that kind of effort and that kind of mindset, it's really more about us than it is about God. There's less of a absorbing of the mystery and more of a trying to put the the mystery in there so that we can see it and control it. Exactly. Um, and then I had another thought about the intentionality dealio. Uh, well, actually, I'll say that I've got a question about that later, but I think I'll, I'll save that for
0: later. Okay. So. When I talk about intentionality being a very modern thing, like that's, because that's what modernity is. Modernity is bureaucratic, it's technocratic, it's attempting to always plan, scheme, quantify, put into little boxes, right? Even uh, all these things are, are part of modern machinations. And so we have to be intentional in how we plan our parishes. We have to be intentional in how we plan civil society, all this stuff. In other words, and, I, and this will get to it in a second, it emphasizes institution over custom or more is. Where we impose something from outside onto something else before we receive it. Does that make sense?
1: I think it does. OK.
0: Um, So I'm going to ask my question.
1: Okay. And you can save it and see if it's for here or not. But like, so I can see that coming from a, a modernist standpoint yep. where it's a lot of our effort. Uh, we, we emphasize our effort. As human beings as the pinnacle of existence and so the if we put our minds to something we can mm-hmm. kind of create a utopia or something like that okay I, I kind of get that yeah but it's interesting how that has uh, weasel its way into Christian thinking mm-hmm. about intentional discipleship and that sort of thing and I think you know I've seen some good things come out of that idea but I'm wondering what's it, what is What is this intentionality thing in the Christian mindset reacting to? Because it seems like this is like uh, part of one of the big solutions to fixing the church. One of them is intentionality, right? And I think there's, there's probably something, I think there's something good in there. Um, now that you're talking I'm like, okay, I can see how this can be kind of twisted, but like, it, it feels like a reaction to a kind of cultural Catholicism or Christianity where there is no intention just something that is in the background of your life. If that much. Absolutely. And now,
0: yeah. So, I gotta be always careful when critiquing the idea of intentionality i'm not saying it doesn't exist it's part of being human like we wouldn't have a category of intentionality unless it was part of our our human life i'm not saying planning is a bad thing um it's just i think but what i do think has happened is that it's gotten twisted or or overemphasized to an unhealthy degree that it's lost the aspect of mystery and astonishment um which is I would argue at least the first priority in, in this whole action. So I think what you're right, I think the whole movement of intentionality is a movement towards a desire to live the gospel as it's truly proclaimed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a bad thing. I, that's not a bad thing at all. But my my, my question is, and, and I, I'm open to um, critiques on this obviously, is, but aren't we, aren't we a, We're not approaching this, I would argue, from a Christian vision of the human person. We're approaching this from a modern or postmodern vision of the human person. Again, I impose my own meaning on my choices. I'm going to view this with God's presence. I'm going to view this with an act of worship to God. And my studies, my study of history and stuff like that, tells me that the saint doesn't see life this way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right so for example, like yeah, yeah, I gotta be careful. I have like 20 distinctions dancing in my mind right now at once. <laughs> okay okay uh, but like because I think I can hear some people saying, well if you don't have intentionality, you're just gonna have pure passiveness, right like almost mm-hmm. like a quietism or you know sometimes the way stuff like the practice of the presence of God is 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 kind of set. It's like well it's just like God's just there, man. And like, it's always there. So act as if he's always there. Okay. But it's like, there's almost a passivity to this, like a a not seeking of God. But for me, where, where the twisting happens is that it's an action to grasp at God and his life rather than a response of love that is proposed.
1: This, uh, I like that. This reminds me of a story. It's a guy was telling me that, uh, someone told him, you know, Jesus is always there, so why don't you act like he's always there? Yeah. And this person, uh, then decided that the way he would act that Jesus is always there is that he would just talk to Jesus out loud all the time. Mm -hmm. Like just be at the grocery store or at this person's job, just talking to Jesus out loud. (laughs) And it's, that kind of thing can turn Jesus into an imaginary friend. Yeah. Instead of, there's a, yeah, it's a difference between reception and action or construction or yeah, the, something. Yeah,
0: construction, I think, is a really good good word there, because that's kind it, of word It
1: removes the receptiveness. It...
0: Exactly. So, yeah, this is uh, this is another bit I bring out in the article, because this is something I think I brought up before we did our podcast on Mary and the church. That like Rasker has this beautiful critique of the overmasculinized West, which uh, would probably anger a good chunk of uh, of Christians <laughs> if they heard that. Wait, we're masculine No, we're not masculine enough. No, no, no. Like this, what he <laughs> means by this is because the masculine principle is this idea of the of the giving, the acting, right? And, and mm-hmm. the feminine principle is this idea of receptivity. Again, even just saying like receptive and feminine together can get you um, canceled, but it's not like a pass. We, we hear often again, we, we hear receptivity in a kind of a sense of weakness and, yeah. and passiveness, and that's not the Christian sense of it. It's something very active, actually, mm-hmm. it's, it's act- but it's actually the stance of man like this is what we call it the Marian stance to be we we lack a certain Marian attitude towards not just God but creation and others this receptive attitude that receives first and then responds right and that but that this is a whole dynamic of life that we give and receive constantly but it's always it's that great phrase from John in this is love not that we have loved God but that he has loved us
1: Yeah, I think it's also important to remember, like when we're talking about uh, the active masculine and the passive uh, feminine, these are kind of metaphors that help us grasp better reality. Yeah. Uh, And and no man or woman is just these things. Right. Um, I think there's certain, uh, definitely like gifts, because you know, I think we can agree that uh, men and women are different. But yeah. that doesn't mean we don't also contain multitudes. So it's not to yeah. oversimplify or put in the box the masculine right. or and the feminine. It's a metaphor that helps us grasp at these larger concepts.
0: And just to put quickly go quickly into this, this yeah. this is uh, something that the church actually is fine with. Like, there is a difference yeah. between man and woman and masculinity and femininity. Right? Yeah. That gender and sex are actually different things. Mm-hmm. But, it, but we don't create... Our sense of gender it's something received yeah. through our, our 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 sex as male and female mm-hmm. um but in that men will have certain feminine principles and and certain masculine principles and they kind of ebb and flow a bit that you yeah. can you know i recognized in myself like i've got a very kind of empathic emotive sense to me which is more quote-unquote feminine but right. that doesn't make me Female in any way, right. shape, or form. It's just I have certain, and, and it's the same thing for everyone, right? Yeah. So it, that that's fine. Like, and and so that's why we're using this. that's why that's how we're that's how I'm trying to use those phrases there. But this is the idea: like, we're meant to be receptive, and that we need to rediscover that kind of more feminine sense. That this is the stance of man to creation. So, in regards to communities itself, like this is where I want to kind of bring in Ratzinger more more um, substantially. Is he has this little article on. Um, utopia in his early career. And it's actually not one of his best. It was kind of a boring read until I got to like the last three or four pages. (laughs) Then it got good. But he makes this distinction between institutia and mores. Okay. So when you hear the word mores, what do you think of?
1: Like uh, social principles. Like if you like... Or like more extreme ones. Like if you eat somebody's face, you're breaking a moray. Right. Um, like, there's things you don't do. Right. Like, you don't um, drop F-bombs in a church. You're, you're breaking the, the mores there. as yeah. bad. Yeah. That's what I think of. Right.
0: Often when people hear morays, they think morality, and that yeah. is definitely a part of it, but it is something, like you said, it's something much deeper. And this is what Raskin tries to get. Morays is, is shared custom. Shared beliefs. Shared stances of seeing the world. Sh- which... Which brings about shared laws, shared holidays, shared calendars, like all those things of cultic, so mores is the foundation of culture. Mm. But he would argue that mores is not something planned. Oh my gosh, there's a big fly. If you hear a buzzing sound, folks, sorry, there's a massive fly flying around right now. Um (laughs) if uh if you seem very uh not
1: not receptive to God's creation with that fly. You seem very active. Yeah, (laughs) I'm a fallen sinner.
0: So the whole idea of Morris though is that it, it develops organically, right? It it happens over time that these shared principles and customs and calendars and stuff develop slowly over a period of time. It's not like a group of people when it's not like the Romans when they started the, when the Roman Empire slowly began. It's not like they, hey guys, I got an idea. We're gonna we're gonna worship these gods and mm-hmm. uh, these are gonna be our holidays. This is how we're going to structure our society. Well, that sounds like a thing that actually happened or tried to happen historically. It does try to happen, but
1: how, I'm, I'm how, thinking about like French Revolution. Yeah, cult and how of does reason. that work?
0: Yeah, it didn't work out so great. Doesn't, it never works out, right? <laughs> this is the thing. But but this is what happens. So um, more happens organically over time. I, I I know we actually did a podcast on this speech from Benedict uh, way back in the day, but I want to quote it. It's from his. Uh, it's my favorite speech of his. It's this from 2008 from the speech to the representative of, representatives of culture in France. And he's talking about monasticism and what it can teach us today. And he says, first and foremost, it must be frankly admitted straight away that it was not there the monks intention to create a culture or to even preserve a culture from the past. Their motivation was much more basic. Their goal was amid the confusion of the times in which n- nothing seemed permanent, they wanted to do the essential, to make an effort to find what was perennially valid and lasting, life itself. They were searching for God. It's one of my favorite quotes from mm-hmm. Benedict because he's saying, like, in the whole speech is really of, so they had a choice of life, like, they had a fundamental mores that they acted on, but they weren't planning. It's not like they got to, hey guys, hey, let's all shake let's all God together. Yeah. No, it was a bunch of people who were all trying to seek God who found each other. And in that seeking of God, monasticism organically grows out of it. The rule was not written by St. Benedict and then given to the community right away and saying, here is what you're going to live. This is what we're going to live right away. It came from the fruit of experience of living in community. The law uh, proceeds from the custom of life and the culture. And that this is how community and life grows. So that institution like the rule, for example, which is an institutionalization of the life, is there to protect the shared values. If you have a monk who says, yeah, I know we're supposed to pray at 6 p.m., but I'm going to go play Xbox instead, (laughs) that hurts the identity of the community. And so you need those institutional spots there to protect the life of the community that has been shared that you've agreed to come upon. But it wasn't wasn't pre-planned. And this is, so this is the whole thing to get back to like intentional communities because this is my kind of beef, I'm sorry, maybe not beef, but my critique. There you go. Is that it it is recognizing the hurt of living in modern society and how it isolates and individualizes. And I would also argue kills desire, (laughs) by the way, like this is another thing like, modernity offers us peace but it asks us to sacrifice desire Um, but how do I put this the community but in, in in response to that hurt and that longing and that lacking where we want where we know that the only way to live is with others intentional communities come along and respond to the modern problem in a modern way Mm-hmm. by how pre-planning the community this is the institution that we are going to impose from the outside that everyone's going to have to live by again you referenced the French Revolution that did not work out so well when institution yeah. precedes mores bad things happen
1: yeah or all the utopia projects in
0: the uh, United States early on Um yeah yeah, because what are you doing when you're imposing, Like I call this like an extrinsicism, right? Like you're you're taking this thing that that's outside of human freedom and saying you have to bind your freedom to this without uh, giving me your yes or no, without cooperating with your freedom. Well, when you oppress human freedom, <laughs> freedom comes back biting hard. Mm-hmm. It's why, and often in a lot of these communities, there are issues around stuff like abuse and yeah. um, people manipulate to their own advantage because their freedom wasn't given. You see, not only is it a modern solution, but it's a quick, it's a band aid solution. It's like, here, here's this plan, here's a special community. That if you go to, you're going to live in paradise on earth. Yeah. Right. Uh, in fact, actually, Ratzinger has this great quote. He says, eschatology expresses the impossibility of perfecting the world within history. Right. So we're not being true Christians if we think if we live in this perfect community, we're going to be good. But rather, it, it, you're offering this quick solution. You're not willing to go through the cross of human suffering and, and real communion with others and living the suffering with others, which means living even with those who you don't agree with and in the midst of those who you don't agree with to bring them to life and to show them the desire of their human freedom and to let your own human freedom flourish freedom is only found in the cross right freedom is not a freedom from it's a freedom for and so when you're imposing institution from the outside saying here is a special community that you can live in and we've pre planned everything well what is that but everything that modernity has tried to do over and over again and has actually killed us spiritually and so when Christians do this, we are actually killing the soul by embracing the modern project and not act and not not standing against it within it.
1: I love this this is great um, <laughs> uh, okay so uh I'm thinking a few things um, one I've definitely you know you, you see this with uh, parishes or churches that have done like m- massive quote unquote church building projects mm-hmm. and they become, they can slip into a weird cultish thing, it feels like they lose the point of what a parish is um, but the other thing I'm thinking of is uh, so what, there is a problem this is not the way to approach the problem what is Right? And, and mm, so. What, what do you uh, think it is? <sighs> I think. Okay, maybe I'll, just, I'll just say this. I've, I've noticed something in, in my preaching. Uh, I had a very good preaching professor. And one of the things he, he very much emphasized was have an action item in your homily. And I've heard other people say this too like tell the people what to do. And a lot of people, like, they want this too, right? They want to know, okay, so Father, what do I do? If you've like fired them up, mm-hmm. uh, given them experience of Jesus Christ, then what do I do? But I've realized that more...
0: <laughs> That's such well, an American thing.
1: Yes, yes. And like <laughs> even people I, I very much respect, like, like no, 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 now you have to tell them what to do. It's like, well, I don't know. Yeah, I think what's more important in preaching right now is world building
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. to uh, foster the Catholic imagination. Uh, because, one, of the, you know, we have this intuition that we're not living the Catholic life the right way. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel this in their guts, mm-hmm. like something about parishes isn't quite right or uh, my own Christian living is not quite yeah. right.
0: Or how and priests so, live their life together right. or apart from each other is not right.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think that intuition is, is correct. There's something yeah. gone amiss here uh, and we don't like it. But we're not willing to stand in the tension of that problem. Yes. We immediately want to run away from that suffering. Exactly. And I think... uh, um, I'm brought to... I may have shared this story uh, before, but it was one of the first times that I got a um, call about um, supernatural spooky stuff happening at a house. Yeah. And uh, it was the night after we blessed the house and everything, this, this couple, they tried to email me in the middle of the night saying, you have to come over right away. Of course, I didn't get the email because I was asleep and I don't, I don't get emails at one o'clock in the morning. That's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but I called uh, this guy in our diocese who works with all this stuff, who you know deals you know, with this all the time. And he said, Anthony, he's a father, Anthony, there are no emergencies when it comes to this kind of ministry. Exactly. And it struck me like, okay. If there are no emergencies when we're dealing with literal demons, what are
0: emergencies? People dying, that's an emergency.
1: Sure. Yeah. That's about all I can think of. That's that's
0: about all I can think of. Right. But even then, like, hmm, uh,
1: let's say there's an emergency anointing and then a meteorite crashes down in the middle of the road and I can't get to that person and they die without the anointing of the sick. There's still, like, we still trust that that person is in God's hands yep. and in his providence and in his yep. grace and mercy, he can take care of that person, mm-hmm. right? We can't limit God to our own actions. Right. Uh, even though the sacraments are very real, very effective and yep. all that jazz, right? Yep. And, you know, I think it's stuff with my diocese, how we are in emergency mode. Yep. Understandably so. You know, a lot of priests are gonna be retiring. A lot of priests are going to be passing away to their eternal reward. We have so many churches. Mm -hmm. We need to act now. I think a lot of that's prudent. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when we're so focused on all of that, Yeah. we get in this emergency mode where instead of building up a parish spiritually, Mm -hmm. culturally, instead of that listening attitude, instead of that world building, like this is the Catholic imaginations. Mm We have to be willing to trust God enough to take our time with things and to live in the suffering of that moment. Exactly. And not to run and fix things right away.
0: Yeah. Those are my thoughts. Okay. Yes. So a few things with that. One is I agree with you about the preaching thing. Like I've always, I see preaching as enlightenment in the Catholic sense, not in the enlightenment philosophy sense. Like it's a true bringing to mind the light of Christ in you and that that's a work of grace and that the pragmatic stuff will flow naturally from that and to leave that in God's hands and in your own freedom. It's not my job to tell you how to live your life. That is not my job as a priest. My job is to tell you about Jesus Christ who enlightens and saves you and who in your relationship with him through the church brings you to act in that way. That's your responsibility, not mine. I am, you know, I can absolutely teach about some of those things for sure. But it's like the idea of father standing up at the podium or at the ambo saying, you need to do this. You shouldn't do this. Like that did not bear a lot of good fruit in the church because we saw the mass exodus that came with that. Mm -hmm and i agree with you that yeah so preaching is a time of like enlightenment and world building absolutely it's why like you know i'm hoping that people will hopefully uh get that book that's coming out in the sacramental worldview in october because that's the whole point of that book that's the whole point of that book is to build up that worldview and to help people understand like how we live is meant to be different so okay the other thing with that though is around this planning thing like and i'm not saying planning is bad but it's again it's it's planning is the response to what is received right rather than um I, here's the problem i'm going to fix it with my own ideas mm-hmm. but the thing is that response requires a listening which takes time like we got again we got to slow down yeah we got to be slower and more and like it, we don't need to do 20 projects right away we don't even need to do one if if, <laughs> yeah. if 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 like for me as a priest as a pastor as someone who hears confessions over and over again i'm reminded of one the most important thing i can do as a priest right now is to teach my people to pray yeah because I realize how shallow sometimes prayer can be for people right because I haven't been taught right exactly. So that's what I can do for that to help build up that world that the world building stuff. but in response to the question of what do I do when I don't find the community I want I, and I want to go build something else somewhere, I would caution against that response for one reason. We're not living the gift of what we've received here. Like, it's a form of acedia to run off to places that we think will be better. Um, it's an avoidance of the gift. Okay, your parish may not be what you want it to be. And I'm not saying, like, we always have to stay in our parishes per se, but it's like... but. Do you think running off to another parish, if if you're running off to the perfect parish where everyone else is running off to because of problems in their own parishes, things are going to be better there. They're just going to bring all their problems with them there. And I've seen that happen way too often. Um, Instead, can't we learn to suffer with one another where we are and to let that suffering be redemptive and purifying to draw us to new life so that we can then choose, not choose, but that we can respond with a way to be in the world that has been able to be, where we're able to be crucified with each other. But so to, you know, it's not about running away from the world. In my, like, I, I argue parishes are the new monasteries. But instead of being outside the cities, they're in them. Uh-huh. And they're meant to be oases and refuges, refu- refu- refuges of 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 God's presence. But that can only be when people like I was saying on the Daughters Project last week even, I was like, my job as a pastor is to teach my people how to live as a family, which means there's gonna be mm-hmm. arguments and there's gonna be disagreements and frustrations. And yes, as, as the father, I'm gonna say, well, this is what I'm doing and it's not up for discussion, <laughs> which you have yeah, to do sometimes, sometimes right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm not doing that, but I'm doing that so that we can learn to live in love with one another to live with each other's weaknesses because when you when you offer that that's what real community looks like that's what real communion looks like and that becomes attractive to people who are looking for that going off into the middle of nowhere uh, <clears> of <throat> texas and starting a community is not going to save the church it's going to ruin her yeah you are removing the localized grace of christ that is mediated through the church from the people in the world who need it the most And if Christ won't fix it, I will. Exactly. And, and like, the reason monasticism has lasted is because it grew slowly and organically. It was never something imposed. We got to get rid of the ideology of imposition and thinking if I if I exercise my will and power, this is going to fix everything and the world's going to be saved. Eschatology teaches us that there is no perfection of this of of life in this world. Ratzinger says we got to stop thinking that way. We got to start thinking that no, I have to live the gift of where I am. Now again, mm-hmm. I'm not. Because I know there are people who are going to be listening to this episode who have been in parishes where things are problematic, and sometimes you do have to leave. I'm not saying it's an absolute yeah, yeah, rule, yeah, yeah. right? But it's like I don't like the music. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm sorry. No, you're it's not, not a good enough you, reason. That's not a good enough reason, and you have not received the gift. Of, you're not open to receiving God's grace where you are. Um, you know, uh, there some, again, sometimes yes, but like no, no, there is grace where we are. And can we suffer through that with each other? Mm -hmm. That will build up a mores and a community and a shared life that will shine the beacon of grace of Christ, the grace of Christ to the world. And that's what we need to do. So the idea of like intentionally forming communities or even intentional discipleship, I think is contrary to not just the Christian way of being, but the human way of being. Because it also like just removes the spice of life. Like, like, I was thinking, imagine imagine going through a, a field of, of grass in your bare feet intentionally. How boring it would be. No, no, you wanna run through it. You just wanna feel it just in the moment as it is. You don't need to think it over all the time. You just wanna receive it as it is in astonishment and as a gift. This is how we need to be as parishes and as the church. And so we need to kind of kill that intentionality as it's proclaimed today. I'm not saying intentionality is a bad thing, But it needs to be purified with this this Marian receptivity that sees the world in astonishment. The end. See, I knew this was going
1: to be good. I always (laughs) get excited when you're like, I don't know my thoughts. I'm going to try to speak them out. Well, this This is good because
0: now I know how to finish my essay good and that's what i needed. everybody wins <laughs> everybody I'm wins Clerically speaking <laughs> there we go well awesome well everyone thanks for uh thanks for listening this week you can find us on youtube and google play and all the stitcher and all those places you find podcasts on twitter we're at clerically we're at clerical pod uh you can email us clerically speaking at gmail.com we're on facebook too um and you can find me at fr harrison
1: you can find me playing the new season of uh, destiny 2
0: and please leave a review if you like the podcast and please tell your friends too and tell your enemies because jesus says we must love our enemies and we will see you in a couple of weeks god bless Peace.